week we began looking at uh, several scriptures in reference to the work of the Holy Spirit and the emphasis that we're attempting to try to understand is that there is one God and there's three persons. And the beauty of God's Trinity allows us to understand how the three are one, how they work together and they cooperate to accomplish one purpose. And as you and I continue to grow in our faith and understanding of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we find the one who is one enables us to become one allows us to work in unity and oneness and so that you and I recognize the beauty when Christ is in us his spirit empowers us as our relationship is established within the relationship with our heavenly father the Holy Spirit is free to lead us and direct us in the way that the father has already taught us, that the Son has given to us, that his words indeed become the foundation of how the Spirit manifests himself in and through our lives. Begin, let's begin by looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and verses 16 and 17. John chapter 3, again, this is going to be one of those messages that you really need a Bible uh, to follow along, and, and I encourage you to look in uh, the Bible you have and allow certain concepts or thoughts to be highlighted so that we can begin to put the pieces together. Otherwise, the Trinity will ultimately become something that we sort of say, but we have no clue how those pieces fit together. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let me dig and find my glasses. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that you sent your son Jesus to not only be the savior of the world, but to accomplish the work that would, in fact, save us. We praise you, O God, for your work in our lives, which not only brings us effectively to a place of salvation, but then you give us those words. You empower us to go so that others might, in fact, be saved. We thank you for your great purpose and plan in saving the world, and we pray that we might recognize that ultimately our task, our responsibility, our calling is, in fact, to be uh, used by you in that particular way. We praise you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As we think in terms of uh, the Father God actively at work in the salvation of the world, we see that it was the Father's love uh, quite often when we find ourselves uh, conversing with people, many people might 
have said to you or you've heard a comment like the God of the Old Testament is a grumpy old grandpa and the New Testament is a loving, compassionate Savior. We recognize in John 3.16, it's very clear that the Father is not so grumpy and the Father is not so harsh. He is indeed extremely loving and He sent His Son to prove it. He sent His Son to demonstrate it. In other words, the person of Jesus Christ comes as an expression of this tremendous love of the uh, Father. And yet we know in order for salvation to take place, in order for hearts to be changed, in order for you and I to believe the gospel, identify with the gospel, the Holy Spirit must be actively at work and cooperated with for that life to take place. We constantly see the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have one primary agenda, and that's to bring people to faith and empower them to take that same faith and to give it away. That's the plan and the purpose of uh, the Father's love has been communicated to us. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, we're going to uh, jump through some scriptures rather quickly. I'm just assuming that uh, you'll just kind of catch on. Um, um, hopefully your fingers work fast and your mind is quick and you've memorized your multiplication tables. John chapter 5 verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him, notice again, who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. It's the words of the Father coming through the life of Jesus Christ that bring us eternal life. John chapter 6 and verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. It is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son has eternal life. John chapter 10. And we look at verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, for I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The plan of salvation is the Father's plan. It has been from the beginning of time and has continued throughout all the way to the finish line. It is the Father's love that is set in motion in the person of Jesus Christ. And what causes it to do what it's designed to do is the, we're going to look at is the role of the Holy Spirit in communicating the same purpose, the same plan, the same message, and that is something that's important to recognize. Verse 27 through 30 of the same uh, uh, chapter, John 10, verse 27. My sheep, they listen to my voice. That's the Holy Spirit. 
I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It's very clear that the Father in heaven is the one at work through the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so everything that Jesus said and everything Jesus did is to do and to fulfill the Father's will, and he said it in fulfillment to the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the words of God. The Scriptures are the things revealed to us. The Scriptures are the work of the Holy Spirit in taking the Father's will and putting the words of Jesus and bringing together with the current and movement and direction and purpose of the Holy Spirit so the world, in fact, would, in fact, be saved. There's not three different languages going on. There's not three different agendas going on. There's not three different goals in mind. The purpose is the Father's love communicated in the lives of each and every one who responds in faith. The purpose that of Jesus coming to earth was to save that world of, and by means of all who would believe in him. And this believing is not so much as we looked at the evidence of his miracles, it is believing in the laying down of his life for his sheep. The fulfillment of all scripture, these are the evidence marks that Jesus is the real one. We mentioned last week, we talked about some of the unique things that take place as the Antichrist manifests himself. The Antichrist is all about himself with another agenda, another plan, and he's all about showing how powerful he is. And we have discovered the beauty of the Holy Spirit is not that he is a power or force, he's a person. He is the Spirit of God living in us. He is the Spirit of Christ manifesting himself in us. He is the Spirit who gives and affirms the words in which Jesus gave to us. Notice again, now in Gospel of John chapter 12, we look at verses 46 through 50. John chapter 12, 46 through 50. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him in the last day. For I do not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Jesus says, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus emphasized this over and over and over and over again. And one of the key evidences that he is the right Savior is he does not come up with his own words. He does not come with his own agenda. He comes as a servant serving his Father. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is true and credible and genuine? We now turn to John chapter uh, 16. 
the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 16. And we pick up where we uh, were looking at last week in verse 12, John chapter 16 and verse 12. I have much more, Jesus says, to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truths. Notice again, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, Jesus says, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I trust that we might humbly consider the precious beauty of God's Holy Spirit, that he is affirming and confirming that Jesus is the real deal. And the way he does that is he works deep within your heart and mind to verify and validate that you can trust Jesus Christ and you can trust the words of Jesus Christ. And when the words fit and agree, you can know it's called true. Um, It's interesting that uh, it wasn't that long ago that there was the big question that uh, seemed to bombard the Christian church, maybe in America more than other places. And uh, you're familiar with the concept of the Da Vinci Code. And the big question was, how do you know that these other Gospels they have found did not fit in the Bible? Shouldn't they be there? Shouldn't they be added on, attacked on? Shouldn't they be beside? How do you know? And then the questions came out. How do you know that the Bible you have is any better than any other religious book of any other religious movement? It's very clear that the Father... When he speaks, Jesus says the same exact thing. And the Holy Spirit, who has given those words in written form, inspired them and breathed them in, says exactly the same thing that Jesus would say. Turn with me to uh, Revelation. Revelation, and we're going to uh, look at chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And then I'll jump back to uh, that comment about the Da Vinci Code. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Now the angel, or the messenger of God, said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am your fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come to exalt Jesus, The Holy Spirit speaks to exalt Jesus. And the Da Vinci Code question was, we've got some Gospels that say Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene. That's not the same Jesus. Those Gospels went on to say all kinds of things that is not the same 
Jesus. God has called us to be a people where you test the spirits, you weigh the messages, you listen to them. They're either the same spirit or they're different. And you and I are constantly exposed to voices and you and I must discern, is it the voice of the shepherd? Is it the voice that I've become familiar with? Is it the truth that Jesus would say? Is it what God said? Even Jesus himself clearly said, all the Old Testament scriptures, the law, and we look at the Psalms, and we look at all the prophets, they all speak about me. That's what Jesus said. So what should the rest of the New Testament speak about? Jesus. One points towards him, the other one looks back to him. It's important to understand there's one God. There's three persons, but they're not talking a different game. They don't have a different agenda. They don't have different motives. They don't speak a different language. They give us the word of God. They affirm the truths. They speak about the messages that you and I hold to. It's about Jesus or it's about somebody else. It might be about another thing. It might be about a, another whatever it is. It's about Jesus Christ. The Bible is extremely uh, clear on that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Because now we, we introduce the beginning teachings of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus made it clear to his disciples after he was uh, crucified, buried, and rose again. He said that you got to wait in the city because he's going to send another He's going to send the Comforter. He's going to send the Counselor. He's going to allow His Spirit to be entrusted to people like you and I. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. The purpose, the primary emphasis was that Jesus would be a witness to the Father and John the Baptist would be a witness to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ was a witness to the truth of the Father and he sent his disciples into the world and said, you are my witnesses and when the Holy Spirit comes, he says, I'm giving you power to be my witnesses. It's important that you and I understand that as God begins to express himself and manifest himself, we need to understand there's a purpose. And that's so that you and I might be witnesses, so that people don't see me, they don't see you, they see Jesus all through us. Our lives are witnesses. That is not simply just power to talk, it is power to live. It's not simply just what you say, it's who we are. He's enabled us to be witnesses. The way we know that we are walking in the Spirit, the way that the Spirit of God is using us and manifesting Himself is that bringing us to a place where there is one primary purpose, and that's reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the witness that has come. Note here in, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, we want to just follow along a, a few elements pertaining to the theme here so that we might understand that some of the concerns 
that we might hold to is, uh, uh, is about this message of consistency that works all through uh, the scriptures and works all through our lives. Acts chapter 4 and uh, verse 33. Now with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Persecution was coming, and they were praying not that the persecution would be lifted. Their prayer was they would have courage to keep going. It's about the witness, the testimony, that they continued to go on. Chapter 5 of Acts 27, and we looked uh, down to uh, 32. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. He gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men, that the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We could go on and on and on. The whole conversion in the apostle Paul is you're going to be a witness. You're going to be a testimony to the world uh, pertaining to a man that you claim to be dead and risen again, and that was what all of his trials and, and testimonies uh, were about. When we think in terms of the gospel, we think about the importance that that's what Jesus came to provide for us. Um, and it's important to understand that the gospel we cherish is not simply a love story, but it's a truth throughout God's word that is intended to create a love story. The power of the gospel is not so much of its spiritual influence in the sense that it is simply a force irresistible. It is a person who works gracefully in cooperation with you and I. And as you and I experience not only to the impartation of God's Spirit, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit on an ongoing, regular basis so that we might be his witnesses. When we think in terms of this faith, we begin to find the heartbeat of the person of Jesus Christ. And we find that what he has uh, uh, called us to as followers of him, and he has equipped us to be his witnesses, we are in fact uh, in, in, in tune with the Spirit of God and his purpose. Now let's uh, look at this, because some of us might cringe and think, do you mean to tell me, Pastor Terry, that my mouth that doesn't work very well on, on six days out of the week, that I'm supposed to be this great witness into all the world? We need to understand that witnessing is not simply your words out of your mouth. We need to recognize that as Jesus came, we not only have uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in equipping us and empower us to be witnesses, but we also must consider the power of God's Holy Spirit inside the church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
We want to read verses 4 down through 11 because as we think in terms of the, the leading, the direction, the blessing of God's Spirit upon uh, individuals that uh, it might be misleading to think that Jesus has come to call each of us out individually and then send us in, what, 55, 60 different directions. So you go off and witness to one, and somebody else goes off and witness to the other, somebody else goes off and witness the other, and then even in Sunday school we have testimonies about the fact that many people came to faith in China, and there wasn't uh, uh, enough people to disciple at the same time there were evangelists. That wasn't God's plan. Jesus said the workers are few, and you and I must understand the way that God accomplishes this movement of witnesses is he has not only equipped the Holy Spirit to empower you to go, but he's equipped us as people to be empowered to disciple. There is a constant uh, correlation between the work of the Holy Spirit is calling us or equipping us to go and be a testimony, but he's equipped some to be among the believers to equip others so we can keep going. And when we lose sight of the purpose of Jesus Christ or the calling in which God has intended to save the world, that we get all kinds of weird and bizarre teachings that get us out of balance. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Let me read that again. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. I trust that we've caught right away the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of the person of Christ, and the role of God is all the same. They're all working together to equip us to have a relationship with the Father, learning of his great love. We have the teachings of Jesus Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit who brings it together. We sense that we're on the same page when we walk in the same oneness with the same purpose and the same plan and the same agenda, that God would create a community of people who put faith and relationship in Jesus Christ within a local body, but our purpose is tomorrow morning. The strategy God uses is to equip us for tomorrow. It's to prepare us and encourage us and build us up so that we can go our separate ways and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a sad reality if we somehow believe that God is an old grumpy grandpa. And Jesus is this loving, kind, compassionate purpose. And the Holy Spirit, well, he's just busy trying to keep people empowered to go and do uh, powerful things. You and I need to recognize the beauty of the Trinity, the oneness, one God in three persons, all accomplishing the same purpose. They're not trying to create all kinds of different things. There's one movement, one purpose, one agenda, and one Lord who's coming back for his one church. It's one 
purpose. So when we look at the role of the Holy Spirit, often we get confused now. It's because we say, well, this guy has this gift, and this guy has that gift, and this guy has that gift. One way you know whether the Spirit of God is at work is we have begun to see those gifts all fit together. If they simply create division, if they create disharmony, if they cause us to be scattered, then that's a clear indication that's not the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way, the evidence, the proof of God's presence among us is our love for one another. That's how he validates and affirms that the love that he had now lives in us and manifests itself in us. And that becomes your badge of proof. That's the, that's the thing that is most recognizable is that love truly for lost people, is that love truly for one another, is that love truly that which unites us together. It brings us to a commonness. And so when God begins to speak through the shepherd, he is speaking through his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that what's personal matches what's public, so that what is inside reflects on what comes out of us. It is this oneness and purpose and plan. As we think in terms of uh, this, we got to read on here. I, I stopped somewhere between that. 1 Corinthians 12, we saw in verses 4, 5, and 6, verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The work of the Holy Spirit is not simply for me. It's not simply for you. It's for the common purpose. And the common purpose is that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, and he's also Lord of the church. Uh, when we think in terms of that commonness, this working together, four to one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he has determined. We think about gifts um, as we, we're going to have to look this a lot closer um, in the next couple weeks is to attempt to understand uh, that some teachings would teach you simply just look at yourself and stand in the mirror and say you know what I'm really good in certain areas the other one teaches Jesus is really good and he has laid upon your heart a burden a ministry a place and so the focus is not whether you are good. The focus is, can you trust Jesus that he can take you if you're not so good and accomplish his purpose? We need to humbly understand the Holy Spirit is the one who we now belong to. He does not necessarily belong to us. He is not the one that works and operates on what you and I think we can do. He's the one that does what's impossible. He's the one that may use your gifts and talents, but it's an entirely different dynamic that you and I recognize 
It's the Spirit of Christ at work in our lives. And we're trusting that it's His power and His purpose and His plan. The bottom line is, when we come to a place where we say, Lord, take me, though I have no gifts, I have no talent, I have no ability, but I'm willing. And we trust Him. It's important to know that Jesus really dealt with some interesting characters to be his first disciples. And if we're honest on a good day, he's really interested, has an interesting way of calling many of us that are pretty interesting characters. The important thing is God's spirit is not limited by how good I am. His spirit is actually hindered by how good I am but his spirit is more powerful in the foolish things of the world and the despised things and those things that are not. He calls them into existence and being. So when we look at the Holy Spirit, we need to attempt to humbly understand that when God gets on the inside of us, he is going to express his, his power and glory in ways that you and I have no idea how to measure it and weigh it, but we must begin Jesus is the one that handpicks his followers. He's the one that chooses people like you and I. And so the gospel is entrusted to us. And that's what we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Is we're going to look at the call of God upon our lives. And how that fits together with the gifts of God that God has laid upon our heart. Because we need to realize God wants to build his church. He wants to reach his community. But we must realize... It's not because of how good I am. It's because of how passionate he is to love the world around us. And so we begin uh, recognizing the beauty of that work among us. Allow me to uh, uh, introduce you once again to some scriptures that I believe is the real evidence of a man of God or a woman of God who is filled with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And we want to read, start with verse 1. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He introduces the Last Supper. And then we get to verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, 
He put on his clothes. He returned uh, to his... Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The power of Jesus Christ, the proof of his true identity, was wrapped up in two sacred ordinances, communion and washing someone's feet. And that's what he's called you and I to. Jesus did not come to show off his power. He simply said that the power is in communion and the power is in humbling myself and washing someone's feet. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, we mentioned, is not a powerful force that shakes this planet. It's a person who lives in you and me and the next person and the next person. And he sends us with his blessing and his effective work so that you and I turn this world upside down. He does it by remembering what he did on that cross and never forgetting. Remember him. And then washing someone's feet, taking the low position. It's the position that only servants do. It's the position that the low people get to do. It's the position in life that simply people don't want to do. The power of the gospel is how low you stoop. Jesus showed us that, and he's called us the same way. The way we know we have the Spirit of Christ is the same voice that the Father gave. It's the same voice that Jesus proclaimed. It's the same work of the same Spirit. If it's about power, if it's about you, if it's about me, if it's about what I'm going to get, if it's what you and I might be able to prove ourselves to be, it's a different spirit. We must trust the Spirit of Christ is Jesus paid it all. I can't earn it. I can't force it. I can't manipulate it. I can't buy it. I can't sell it. I simply take it as a desperate, broken man who is well aware of my sin. I look to Jesus and Jesus alone. And then I stoop to say, if that's true, then by God's grace, let his power be proven, not in how great I am, but in how low I'm willing to stoop. Every one of us has an opportunity to touch someone's heart, to minister into someone's life that is hurting. You may not ever get known, you may never ever write a book, but you can touch one person's life one at a time when Jesus brings us down rather than lifts us up. Father, we are humbled by the beauty of your work, particularly as we approach this great and glorious Passion Week. We pray that we'd recognize the greatness of being the least. We'd recognize the beauty of being last. 
we recognize the ways in which you have called us to show your great love. And then we wash someone else's feet. Lead us to a place, Lord, where we can minister to people wherever we are, whatever job we have, those broken hearts, those tender lives, the people that have never heard of Jesus Christ. Give us the courage to believe that the task is not so much some great ministry or great calling, but rather to stoop down and wash someone's feet. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.